But I hate when I feel like this And I never hated you Neurotica is a weekly podcast going to the deepest, darkest parts of the mind and bringing them to light. Topics range on mental illness, behavior, and perception and more. Please be warned, many episodes contain trigger warnings. If you ever have thoughts of suicide, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Hey everybody, welcome to Neurotica. My name is Cody Ryan. I'm followed by my co-host as always, Booby Styles, aka Robert Minshew the Third. How you doing, Bobby? I'm doing pretty well, Cody. Feeling better than last time we recorded, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um but the good news is that uh, you know, we're gonna be talking about something good today. I just think it's gonna be a good episode and I'm I'm feeling really good about it. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a good one. I don't really have, I don't know. I'm you don't have any more puns. I'm not in on this bit. This bit sucks. Um, no. So today's episode, we're actually really excited because um, we're always really excited. We're just excited guys. Um, I feel like I keep saying that. Excitable boy. We're, we're the Excite Boys. Um, the get the fuck up boys and the get Excite Boys. Um, no, we're excited because, not that one of our favorite shows ended, but because we get to talk about it. And Bobby kind of texted me and said, hey man, we really should talk about the end of BoJack Horseman and The Good Place. Um, and at first I was like, well, we're not a pop culture podcast, but it's very easy to see why those shows would be um, mental health, right? So like, Bobby, why don't you talk about a little bit how like that idea came even into your mind? All right. Well, The Good Place and BoJack Horseman are two of the most high concepts comedy tv shows and two of certainly the two highest concept comedy shows uh that i've ever really loved um the last three seasons or so of bojack horseman there would always be these crazy episodes like one where it's entirely takes place underwater and he he can't talk to anyone um ones that are flashbacks and really crazy animation um just doing things that only cartoons can do and that live action would never be able to do. Whereas the good place, the high conceptness, whatever you would call that kind of flows through the entire show. Um, And it's really interesting because it starts from a place of philosophical concepts kind of being settled. Right. Yeah. And I I guess one thing I just want to add to something you just said is, We're talking about two completely contained universes that still, you know, mostly abide by the rules of life, but they tell their stories in such unique ways. So, you know, what you just referenced there is kind of referencing to what we will do. So before we get any further, I think it's probably good for us to say, and we're going to say even when we put it out, there will be a lot of spoilers for The Good Place throughout this episode. Not so much um, BoJack because I'm still behind. Um, we'll just probably talk about BoJack at a more high level. But The Good Place is not the kind of show you can really discuss without even giving the spoilers away because that's kind of the point. Um, but something I said to Bobby that kind of even builds off of uh, what he you know, will continue to talk about is just... We're talking about kind of two shows that not just live in two different universes and gives them different ways to explore, but also kind of have two different tones, too. That's something I'll talk about later. But Two different mediums. 
Yeah, not just even mediums of being like animation versus live action, but also like Bojack's much more cynical, where the good place seems to find an optimism in a world that seems to be like always trying to kill them, you know? Right, but where the two shows overlap is that it's... And I don't know if we've said this or not, but we're going to be talking about everything in The Good Place. So if you haven't finished The Good Place yet, you know, bookmark this one and come back to it after. Yeah. But The Good Place and BoJack Horseman are both in different ways about confronting your own shortcomings. One of the things about BoJack Horseman that is part of what makes it really connect with people, um, even if it does make it a little more unrealistic which is stupid to say about yeah a show that um is animated animals mostly. yeah um, and there are humans in the show which makes it even more like silly but you know i i do want to say though that at, when i first watched it people thought that was like a gimmick in itself like oh they get to make bird jokes but like it grew right but the thing that makes not the setting or the characters unrealistic but the way that they talk to each other um is that everyone is really good at pinpointing flaws in other people and themselves um, by turns and expressing them in a way that is meant to hit you directly in the gut. Yeah, which, I mean, honestly, real life and movies, there's always a cutting down of a lot of conversations. Like Most conversations you have, even if they end in somebody slamming a door doesn't escalate the speed at which you watch a tv show or a movie someone slamming a door right but that's just not realistic but what bojack and i think the point you're getting at and we will talk about with the good place is it really wanted to point out humanity right away like it, it didn't beat around the bush on that right so like everyone who watches bojack horseman and has ever dealt with any level of self-doubt or imposter syndrome or depression or anything like that the show is written and the dialogue is written in such a way as to make people like almost feel attacked yeah like like why like why are you point like why are you saying this thing that is exactly how i feel in like such a pointed way um and it's kind of funny because the show is the opposite i will say just the general premise of the show it's the opposite of what i am and bobby is and what we probably want to like strive towards in the middle but the whole premise of bojack horseman is he's a washed up actor from like an 80s tv show um kind of like a or maybe his 90s but it's like you know the, the bob saggots of the world that like you know go on but don't become something you know i guess the better one would be uh the guy who slept with Alanis morissette and then she wrote that song about him dave coolier dave coolier yeah it's like being dave coolier and then being like but i was on one of the most successful shows ever why doesn't anybody care about me anymore? I have money to keep myself going, but I want somebody to care. Where Bobby and I are more of like, well, nobody cares about us anyway. We hope people care. But like, he's trying to get back to a different time period. And it's like, he's always living in the past. So there's a lot to play around with of letting go of the past. A lot of going with like, accepting your present and then moving ahead in the future. And you see that a lot in a narcissistic character where at times it's extremes, but sometimes it's like, shit, man, that's me in that situation. Or it's an episode that's so bizarre, but then you realize by the time they get at the end of it, even though it was all underwater and there was no dialogue, that episode had way more impact than a lot of the episodes in the season. Right. 
And it's not about like being able to relate to specific situations as much as it is about being able to relate to like feelings and themes. Yeah. Kind of. So I, I think we've talked about Bojack a little bit um, to the degree that if we're going to keep talking, we'll probably get into some spoilers. So I think it's probably good for us to kind of say what the good place is and we can still weave Bojack back in um, kind of to contrast what we need to. But I think what people need to understand about The Good Place, too, is that BoJack is a very understandable show of, like, okay, I can understand how they would do more seasons. It's just, like, it's silly. It's a cartoon. Cartoons are very, you know, simple to just reset. Yeah, no and one's... Each season still... There's carryover, but each season feels somewhat contained whatever message they're trying to convey to that. No one has to physically age. Yeah, I mean, like Which is like why the family, family Guy and The Simpsons and stuff can just go on indefinitely, like... Yeah. As opposed to Modern Family, which is, like, just getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah, and you could always play around with jokes in a, a Simpsons that you couldn't. Like, even The Simpsons abide by most physics, but then sometimes they don't. Like, Homer can get extra hurt, and then they can do an episode like... Treehouse of Horror, where Homer's head can become a giant donut. Yes, I saw that episode last night because I was watching Simpsons. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there's added level of you can create your imagination in the show to make the joke. Yeah, well, the... Good Place the, did that too, sort of, though. The medium itself <laughs> for animation creates a suspension of disbelief. Yeah. So let's talk about The Good Place, though, and why that's so unique and why they got to play around with a lot of things, but also why I was concerned that they couldn't keep it going. Right. Well, first of all, just from a level of kind of getting an audience and staying on television, this a high, I keep saying high concept, but a show that is so based on um, morality and philosophy and things like that, they need the hook of Ted Danson and Christian and Kristen Bell so that people are going to be willing to tune in and give it, um, give it some more benefit of the doubt when they don't have that relationship with uh, Jossie Carden and Jamila Jamil, Manny Jacinto, and uh, William Jackson Harper. So that yeah. star power uh, allows them to explore things like like Immanuel Kant or whatever, like the trolley yeah. problem. But it, I, I think the thing I, I first thought was, oh, why is like Kristen Bell going back to TV? That was like my first thing. Like, that, that felt like a step back for her. So I was like, okay, they must be throwing the bag at her or whatever. But then I saw the concept for the show. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And uh, Ted Danson's attached. like, But he's been kind of just hanging around Curb. Like, did they throw the bag at him? Or is he just kind of like, oh, this is a fun project. You realize very quickly that they must have realized this was going to be something great. I had no well, I had no relationship with Ted Danson at all. Well, I remember never his seen, name, but right, but I I'd never seen. I don't know if I've ever seen an episode of Cheers. I've watched very little Curb, and I don't think any that he's been in. But I trusted the showrunner Mike Sher because he was the showrunner of my favorite show of all time, Parks and Rec. He was a writer on The Office, and he's a creator of Brooklyn Nine Nine. And there is a lot of um, overlap, I think, between the writers of uh, Parks and Rec and um, some of the other shows that you mentioned. In yeah, a good place. I think comedy writing in general is just a really incestuous field. So, like, I didn't want to put it that way, but I'm just saying, like, some of those specific people though that probably wrote some of your favorite episodes of Parks and Rec probably also wrote your, some of your favorite episodes. Of yeah, I know that Joe like, Mandy was a yeah a writer on both. I that think was the that... one that kind of came to mind mine he ended up getting producer too on i that. think that megan amram yeah uh, was too i don't i don't know if, if she wrote for parks and rec or not 
I think she was involved in that. But either way, the the point is that the show had actually a lot going for it that I wasn't giving it credit for. But I said to myself, how the hell are you going to keep this show going? There's just no way. Because once you hear the concept, you go, okay, that's pretty cool. But like, how do you keep that going? You watch the show and you're like, well, how do you keep that going? Yeah. And and I, I guess we should just explain the plot. Well, anyone that's listening to this, I would think would have yeah, looked hopefully the have gotten out of it. But if you haven't, basically the whole show is rooted in the idea in the first season that we are in heaven and that we reveal that Kristen Bell is not actually, um, you know, supposed to be there and she figures it out. Like she basically knows she's lived a shitty, shitty, shitty life and bad person and everybody around her is goody two shoes. Well, more specifically, it's that they give details of her life. Yeah. At, also of a, she never did. And of quote, the other Eleanor Shellstrop. Yeah. It was she like knows a is not her case of mistaken identity. So during the first season, I mean, obviously the drama of not wanting your characters to be found out eventually um, Jason Mendoza as well. Not wanting those characters to be found out is plenty to keep you watching, but what I thought was most interesting at first was concepts like um, if you have a soulmate, is it someone that lived at the same time as you? you know? Yeah. Or can it be someone, or is your soulmate maybe someone that lived 500 years before you? Yeah, and, and they, they at first attacked this issue of like Eleanor and Jason, not as of. My concern being was, well, how do you keep going for seasons that you're just hiding people? But it ends up becoming this thing of everybody who is, like, kind of a main character of, like, the the four that we're introduced to as, like, the four that would be the main characters that are all, um, you know, interacting with each other. They're paired up as soulmates, um, the two couples, and there's a fraud, quote-unquote, in both the couples, so that there's kind of an intertwining there. And slowly everybody finds out of those four and they're banding together. And then obviously there's a huge twist at the end of the first season. Yeah, well, this is where the show kind of made its reputation uh, critically outside of just the fact that it's funny and well written. The twist, obviously, at the first at the end of the first season is that they are not in the good place. They're in the bad place. They've been placed there by uh, Michael, played by Ted Danson, who is actually a demon who has been using them and the construct of people missing in the good place to torture everyone yeah or not even just that there were it was then there's episodes later that kind of reveal what he wanted to do there's this concept called the architect that builds these neighborhoods and what he was saying is we torture people for years that are bad people by you know doing like lava shit and like there was a lot of having snakes eat their penis yeah like like dumb it was like really dumb jokes and they're all mean to each other and it's like that's how they talk and it's like very played up to be dumb and like on purpose but in a great way but michael comes with this idea of like what if we tortured people with their biggest insecurities like the things that upset them the most the things that just keep fucking throwing them off in life and then you're watching that first season and you even you kind of are like, if this is heaven, why does everything keep going wrong? And they present this idea early of, oh, everything must be going wrong because there's frauds here. Like they plant this idea in your head that because Eleanor and Jason are there, things are going to go wrong. So Eleanor and Jason try to get better. So they deserve to be there. And what we find out is, no, you've been wasting your time the entire time. You're actually in the bad place. Yes, none of them deserve to be there. And then season two... Wait, wait, wait. I do want to make that very important point. 
none of them deserve to be there. By the logic of the show, by the logic of the good place at the beginning of the show, none of them deserve to be there. Yes, and that includes Chidi, who was this philosopher, supposed to be like this, like, moral right person, but they said, like, but you never made decisions in life, and, like, that hurt your friends and your family, and you were always looking for the answer, but you never were there for anybody. Yes, and Tahani, um, who's... A full, uh, like a philanthropist to, like, and the nth degree and knew she's everybody. Done t- she's done tons of material good for other people, but because of the motivation being just to like look good and try Especially to be better Al- than her sister. Yeah, her sister, who's like a huge pop star artist, yes. the like so, iconoclast kind of person. And she's also born into wealth, so like she has she to doesn't, do something. So she doesn't get any points for that in this show, is it? In the begin in the system at the beginning of the show, yeah, and cruel family like things like that. But the the whole show premise is basically we have two frauds, we have two re- real people in heaven. That's why everything's going wrong. And then at the end of the first season, they go no. And then I got really scared for the second season because they were just like, oh, we have the ability to reset your brain, and that's what we're gonna do. And I was like, oh no, we're we're just gonna do this again for a second season with some tweaks. Like, doesn't that? But then I was, like, intrigued. I was like, how do you make that work? They didn't do that either. No. And what I thought was going to happen was they were going to, you know, get through the whole second season and then figure it out again. But instead, again, one of the most ambitious television episodes I've ever seen is the one where Michael reboots everyone, like, thousands and thousands of times. And every single time, they figure it out. And he says, Jason figured it out once. That was a real low point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that one. He's just like, even Jason got it? (laughs) But the whole point was being that he kept trying to keep these four people from, you know, bonding together and figuring it out. But what they always did was they found each other and they always tried to improve each other because they always thought in this scenario where Eleanor and Jason don't feel like they belong, Tahani and Chidi do they always want to help each other so that they all belong. And that's kind of like a very broad, oh, that's a society thing. But the show, as it keeps going on, just keeps getting so much deeper into human life. And you realize the whole time that we're talking, we're talking about them in the bad place. We're talking about them in literally hell. Like, so that's why we were like so much like, well, season one is the big reveals. They, Eleanor figures it out. And it's very clear Eleanor is, like, the main character out of the four main characters. And then eventually it becomes Janet and um, Michael, played by Darcy Carden and um, Ted Danson, respectively, kind of become the sixth main characters as well. Janet even kind of feels like the fifth, even through the first season. And Ted Danson's more like a, you know, special guest, like, prop up, but he's still there a lot. It's very clear it's these four people expands to be these six people right and the way that they bring michael into the fold is through failure mostly well it's his <laughs> it's his failure and it's him trying to save his own ass it's it's not any actual altruism on his part because what happens is the judge well it's his the, boss actually. right well his his boss says you have one more go at this and if not like the whole Every, program shut yeah, down everything's and we're just fun. gonna kill you for the fun of it so, but instead he reboots it thousands and thousands of times yeah and just keeps reporting and, back it's going well right because he cannot get it right right so then 
the only way for him to save his ass is for him to band together with the humans and and pretend that everything's going wrong, but they all get out. I believe is what season two was. Obviously, I'm like thinking back now to seasons that are kind of right. past. But well, like... Chidi is helping try to teach Michael philosophy and how to be a good person now too, which he is instinctually uh, resistant to because he's a demon. And yeah, he's, he's not a human. Um, but. They band together through um, mutual fear of what happens if they get caught. And eventually they, at the end, manage to reform the point system by which humans are judged. um, Because it turns out that no one on Earth has gotten into the good place in hundreds of years. Yeah, so there's like, we're skipping ahead a little bit in the plot, but that's fine. Because I think at this point, if you're not watching the show from what we said or you are listening even though we've given a lot of spoilers you're jackass no offense um actually a lot of offense take as much offense as you need because you're a jackass anyway the point being a lot happens in the show and at one point they're back on earth and at one point they're back in the bad place one point they're in the good place one point they're in a middle place it's it jumps all over the place but in the end they come to this agreement that the good place and bad place doesn't work anymore. It just, the system doesn't make any sense. And they're going to work together to create these neighborhoods. And the bad place people will still be able to torture people, which they love to do by trying to point out their flaws. But the good place architects on the other side are going to be pushing them towards getting better. Now, one thing I do want to point out, though, of the show, and when we talk about like architects and stuff like that, when you talk about the original good place as they were living it in season one and what the good place becomes in the end, I do just want to point this out because it makes me laugh my ass off. We were talking about like bow jackets to do fun things. They, there's a running joke in the show about frozen yogurt, how it's like not actually satisfying. And it kind of actually made sense to me. Like everybody loves frozen yogurt, but when you have it, you're just kind of like always like meh in the end. And then when he does the reboots, it changes the kind of store it is because he's like, maybe that's the thing. But one of the writers of the show had basically like tweeted out a pun list of different like yog like frozen yogurt place names they'd come up with and all this shit. It was like all these dumb names they got to play with. That was Megan Amram. Yeah, Megan Amram. And then once we got towards the end of the show, it was like we still had comedy, but man, did we have a lot of humanity and they finally get this opportunity and they say you guys get a free pass you just save all of humanity you get to go to the good place and what happens when they get there uh they get to the good place and this i was actually kind of disappointed with this um they get to the good place and everyone there is basically a zombie yeah and it sucks ass but it sets up something really well so they get to the good place and everyone is basically like i said a zombie and it's because they've been there for however many Jeremy Baramies, which is the uh, measurement of time, <laughs> measurement of time uh, in the afterlife. One dude said, um, "I'm orgasming all the time. It's awesome." Yeah, uh, but just in a dull mind. Yeah, like, like just that. in the worst. Like I don't want to be alive. Tone, but he's in heaven. So how the fuck can you get away from that? So what? <laughs> This is a, a plot line that I would have thought would have been at least a couple episode arc otherwise in the series, but they resolve it in one episode and it's 
basically that they need to go ahead and come up with a way to fix the good place so that it's not just everyone with a walking around in a haze, um, not being able to enjoy the, you know, the paradise in which they live. And the way that they do that is by giving people an out, a way to, you know, say it's done. Yeah. Like, return themselves, uh, as it turns out from dust to dust kind of. Yeah. And in the show, you know, obviously addresses it better than we ever could cause they wrote it and it's great, but basically they just say like, you can have too much of a good thing. If you just live in good for forever, w- what makes it really good? It Like, relativity matters. I think that's, like, something in it. Relativity. Relativity. That's just me getting out of uh, sorts. I had to reboot myself for a second. Relativity. You should be about 1% uh, I'm slightly now. dyslexic, and I've mentioned that multiple times. Leave me alone. That's, You're attacking my disability. nothing to do with stuttering. Yeah, I know. Um, that's not true. Uh, I looked into it because I might have dyslexia. Um, anyway, but just saying, like, you know, how can there be good without bad? And it's like, that That seems like when you say just black and white, like, oh, what the fuck? Like, no. Or But it's like, also, how can there be light without dark? It's just that... No joy without pain. No sunshine yeah, without rain. The whole point they're making, though, is just like, when something is endless, you know, what's there to look forward to? You know, like, when do you decide that, you know, you're fulfilled? And if you're going to heaven as, like, I live this great life, in in life we don't get to choose how we die or when we die or if we got to do all the things we want to do, we die. And it doesn't matter if you live the greatest life that you thought you could. There's still probably something on your list that I'm foreshadowing here that you might have missed. So they're talking to these people, and one of the people they're talking to is one of the best philosophers of all time, according to Chidi. Played I by can't... Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, played by Lisa Kudrow. He's doing an amazing job, which is really funny because the last time I'd seen her was on Kimmy Sch- Schmidt, where she pretends to be the mom who doesn't give a shit, like who just loves roller coasters. And then the second time I see her is wearing a Blake Bortles jersey, but being one of the best um, philosophers of all time and just being like, they're like, oh, if you're of Alexandria, and they're like, why do you look like this? They're like, oh, we don't age here. Oh, you're one of those, like, we're thinky guys. Like, and she's, like, making the point that, like, after a while, you don't need to stay sharp on, you know, all of your talking points in heaven because you're just always feeling bliss. Like, and she goes, you got to save us. This sucks. Like, she finally able to, like, kind of make her point that she couldn't even remember because what she's saying is basically we're being tortured by joy yeah it's it's, like when 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 you come and she keep on sucking but it's like (laughs) god damn it bobby did not see that coming it's like that's a pun in itself too there's if if everything is endless there's no sense of urgency so it's like something that i think i've talked about on the show before and i definitely talked about this with aaron i think at the live show where like when you're unemployed for a long stretch of time, as I have been a couple times, you have all the time in the world to do all the writing or creative shit that you want to do. But because you have all the time in the world to do it, you just kind of fucking lay around and feel bad for yourself and you don't get anything done. And obviously being unemployed and being in the paradise that is the good place is not really the same thing at all unless you have a lot of money to begin with. But it's the same concept of when there's no deadline or driving force, there's no sense of urgency, 
there's no motivation for you to actually do anything or enjoy anything. Yeah, but I'll even say that on the flip side, I I feel that in my job sometimes. Like, do I? And people, you know, we've talked about it on the show. I beat myself up too much. All my friends would say it. My psych says it. And the reason I do that a lot of times is because I just want to push myself to do more outside of the office. And you know, I want to do the podcast. I want to Twitch stream, and I want to you know advocate. I want to be there for my friends because I enjoy those things. And it burns me out. And people go, well, why don't you just go home and chill out, dude? And it's just not a thing for me, but that kind of makes the point to the show too. It's like, well, if you want to go and do creative things, there's no deadline on that either because you could just be like, well, I've got a full-time job. I'm secure. I've got enough money to live my life and do fun things that I want to do. What's wrong with me going home on a Tuesday and just laying in bed instead of, you know, trying to get myself to Twitch stream or something like that. So when you're talking about like the good place, it's like, Oh, well, I got all the security, you know, whatever food I want, whatever orgasms I want, whatever bliss. What's the point of even exploring something new? Because they even talk about, we have these doors that can take you anywhere to do anything. Nobody's even using the doors at this point because they're like, well, there's bliss here, there's bliss there. Who cares? Like, it's what's the motivation for seeing something new when you've just been living for centuries and what's supposed to be just a solid state? I think that's kind of like, a bit of the point too is that life will have up ups and downs and a lot of people would love to just be like i wish it was just ups and i could just get out of here and get to heaven and just be ups but if it's just ups after a while you're gonna create downs or it's just gonna get monotonous it's mundane i mean it's you're the same thing over and over and over again your brain is gonna adjust and go back to equilibrium where like yeah. All of the good things that should be making you happy all the time, you're just going to feel the same way that you do now, except... Yeah, and there there could have been some explaining in the show if they really wanted to take the lazy way out and just be like, oh, you're in heaven, so your brain doesn't even like have the concept of being worn out of heaven, but that was the point they wanted to make, was even the guys in charge of heaven didn't know what they were doing. So what we were just talking about was actually the penultimate episode, not the last episode, and in the penultimate episode, there is a moment where they literally trick Michael into taking over the good place. And it's uh, Paul Shear and a bunch of other random people that are like the good place committee who are just the most useless human being. Well, not human beings. Um, not, not a girl. It's like a group of if golden retrievers were turned into human beings. Yeah. And then there was like even one point where like a guy made like one small mistake and then he like resigned right away. And he's like, sorry about that. And then they're all like really like very kind and nice. But like they clearly just like don't have any like backbone to get anything done um they're just really nice guys um they just like they're just like super nice but they just don't do shit like they're just in action they just all talk i don't think that that's a good mayor pete comparison because i think that he's an evil little rat fuck yeah but they end up being little evil rat fucks too because they tricked michael and then said all right your problem now no take backs bye yeah but that their actions up until then are still like mostly they were created beings to run the heaven and they fucked up. They're definitely rat fucks. All right. Agree to disagree on that. I would definitely say if you fuck up heaven, you're a dumbass, at least to some degree. A rat fuck, maybe not. But like, anyway, they foist heaven onto Michael. That's a Curb Your Enthusiasm joke that you will not get. But Ted Dancing Connection, Cody wins the podcast for the night. Thank you. I'm, you know, shaking my hands at victory because I've done it. Um, But... 
basically they tricked Michael into taking over the good place. And Michael's had a propensity in the show, which is kind of set up in the background of him even as a demon, that he often gets very nervous and freaks out. And it falls on Eleanor to figure out it and the other humans and Janet, you know, helping to do the logistics of things. So they come up with the answer. So the answer is all good things must come to an end. So what do they do? They create a door. And the door basically is when you've decided that you've reached that self, you know, fulfillment, you know, self-actualization or you've done everything, you know, and you have to understand that in the show, people are being rehabilitated to get into heaven. Now more people are getting into heaven. The people that you might not have resolved issues with. And they're also the best version of themselves. You get to go through doors that take you to the places where you never got to be before and do the things you never got to do. You get now this chance and this desire back that, oh, I want to do those things because once those things are done, I can go somewhere and finally have my eternal peace of I go back into the universe. And they become, as Bobby kind of alluded to earlier, kind of dust. Right. And this... Another part of the reason that they create this door um, to give you an end to your time in the good place is it's not just the sense of urgency that there is an end, um, even though you're choosing it. It's that there's something unknown still. Yeah, and they, they even tell the people, you don't have to go through the door, and we don't know exactly what happens when you do. We just know it'll be peaceful, and you will no longer exist. And what we start to see in the last episode, which is 90 minutes, which I started crying from minute one. And it's funny because I, it's the funniest way to open up an episode from all the dumb shit that like we've gone through is Jason Mendoza sitting in the middle of Jacksonville, Florida in the Jaguar stadium playing Madden with his dad and saying, you did it, son. You played the perfect game of Madden. And he's still got Blake Bortles in. And the score is like 34,000 to zero. And the other team's got negative a billion yards. And he's got... And you see this look on his face. And you go, oh, dip. And that's usually what he says. And that's what Janet says later. Because not a girl, but they fall in love. If you haven't seen that part yet. More spoilers. Fuck you for listening to this episode. Yeah, I don't I know if we you. need to keep explaining what happens in the show. No, but I'm saying fuck you to the people who keep listening that have not just started to go watch the show and are like, oh man, why are they spoiling shit? Fuck you. Um, That's true. I No, I think it's still important for the episode. Janet and um, Jason falling in love actually is important for the episode because you have to understand Janet is the robot of the show and cannot leave. So that was the kind of the first thing that hits you right away is that, you know, Jason is going to leave the good place. He's going to finally walk through, but Janet's job is not done. And that's why I'm not just explaining it for people like to hear when they probably should have already watched the episode. I'm explaining it to be like, shit. Like that was the moment I knew that like, this is what this entire episode is going to be for 90 minutes. People saying goodbye in ways that is cathartic and beautiful and allows them to do all the things that they want to do. But what we realized throughout the episode and as it unfolds, that meant different things for every single one of our humans. Right. And they make a, they make Janet Dr. Manhattan basically. 
Is this yeah. something that they never mentioned before? No, they made um, Derek Doctor Manhattan in the middle place, which is played by Jason or uh, Jason, Jason Manzukis. Well, I almost said Mendoza again. Right, but I'm I'm more meant where they say that where Janet says that she's experiencing time. Sort of uh, oh all yeah, at once, uh, which is a Doctor Manhattan thing. Yeah, so Janet even becomes this kind of like, and you could probably argue in the show, even though there's multiple Janets, good place and bad place. The show never really references a god. There is a joke that all the religions get some of it right, but the best guy got, like, most of it right. Doug so, Forsett. Yeah, so they have a picture of him, but he's just some dorky-looking dude. And if you watch the last episode, you will notice that the young version of Doug Forsett is always partying with them in the good place. I don't know right. if anybody else noticed that Easter egg. The reason that Doug Forsett is always partying in the good place is that because he had gotten high as explained by Michael in the pilot episode, because he had gotten high and figured it out 98%. Yeah. He lived his life very carefully according to all of the rules that he knew, and it still turned out that he was nowhere close to getting in. Or even happy. Because the show said there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Yeah. And yes, he's not happy. So once he's in the good place, he is allowed to... Kind of go back to his old, you know, happiest moment yeah. before life went downhill. He's it's... allowed to just, like, party. Yeah. Like... And for and for him, enlightenment was misery. Yeah, like, it wasn't good to be like, oh, I have to live life to the tea of goodness. But there was also a lot in the show that would talk about the philosophy of things and how he thought he had to be perfect. And it was a very, like, important moment of the show to say, you don't have to be perfect, but what's the point if we're not pushing ourselves to be better? And that was middle of the seasons. Now we're watching towards the end of the seasons. And another point of that was that even being perfect, the way that yeah. the afterlife was judged at the time was nowhere near good enough. Yeah. So right off the bat, though, we know Jason's leaving. And he calls all his friends in, and they have a big party to say goodbye. And it's really just those six people that we reference. And... He says bye to Janet, and Janet is the one who walks into the door that's kind of like deep in the woods. And I'm, I've am i been crying the whole time, and I was telling Bobby this on the, the walk over. We were talking about what well, we're going to talk about in the episode. I've never laughed so hard while crying. There's just this moment where Jason is giving his final goodbye to Janet, and he's saying, you know, I want to give you, you know, this amulet that i made and i know it's not probably as good as you want you're not a girl and you don't need jewelry but it means a lot to me so you don't forget about me he was really concerned about that even though this is an all-powerful being he had the same concern we all have as people being forgotten about that was the love of his life that was his soulmate even though it was not a girl you know they make a joke it's a robot but it's not even a robot not a robot not a girl just this kind of like weird sentient being but they she learned empathy through reboots and stuff like that she got stronger every reboot their love is a thing and you know it, it could be easily a you know another thing they snuck in there of like don't judge people's love and shit like that because technically janet not a girl she is non-binary she's not a girl she's not really anything but you know it it, it did have humanity in that too but the reason I laughed my ass off is because he goes to reach in his pocket. They finally give her the same and then he goes, Oh, dip, what happened? Maybe I dropped some magic squirrel must have took it. And it's just like the way he delivered it and just like the moment of just like my heart was ready to break. And then he went magic squirrel. 
I was crying laughing so hard into a pillow. And I even like, I think I paused it because I was like, I don't want to miss anything right now because I'm just experiencing just this complete joy and sadness at the exact same time. Right. And this particular moment speaks to two pretty important themes that I wanted to talk about that do intersect more directly with mental health. The first being when we don't know what happens after we die, like what does a legacy actually mean? Or does it matter even? Exactly. Like if we are literally just going to be worm food and there's no afterlife or whatever, there's no consciousness, greater consciousness after we die. Like, I guess a legacy is just people remembering us and actually has nothing to do with us actively. Yeah, and you have to remember that the way they're presenting Janet is as somebody who's going to be there for all of eternity. And she's one of many Janets, but she's going to be there for all of eternity. And Jason makes a joke like, you know, or not even a joke. He seriously says, like, I don't even care if she falls in love again. Just, guys, make sure she doesn't forget about me. And... It's kind of ironic because Janet can't forget, but what he's basically saying is Janet's going to be there for all of eternity and I won't. Will all of eternity remember me? Right. And this intersects also with our episode from a couple weeks ago about not feeling as though our voices are heard or as though they make any difference on anything or anyone. Like, what is your legacy if not, like, your voice echoing um, after you've, you know passed away and so like i know people that say like i don't give a shit about my legacy like i i'm just gonna be like a dead body in the ground there's nothing else afterwards but even if that is like if i think that that is most likely what's true like while i'm alive i still would like after i die for people to like remember me fondly and to have made an impact in some way I'd also like to add, while I'm alive, I'd like it to be the best it could be. And I think that's also just kind of a thing of cynicism or nihilism that we sometimes have. Or like, well, you're going to fucking die. What do you care? Like, or, you know, now disgrace Louis C.K. I laughed at the joke when he wasn't disgraced. But now I kind of even looking back, realize I don't love it. Is that the the joke that you could just kill yourself at any time and not deal with things. But that's not really like how i want to look at things anymore because yeah you could kill yourself at any time and not deal with the problems but there's ripple effects it doesn't just affect you it affects everybody you love and who you know but that's you know we're not talking about suicide right now but we are talking about people choosing to end their existence in this show but in a much more fulfilling way that was the next thing that i was going to say is that what is voluntarily ending your existence if not a form of suicide like a a white hat version of suicide sort of yeah but i guess it was just that what the show had to kind of compromise on is okay you live a good life and then you go to heaven and you get everything that you deserve and want and when you decide that you got all of that you get to walk out knowing that you're at complete peace. And they were talking about that with Jason. Like, how did you know? And he was like, I just was at peace. And he said, it felt like the air inside my body was exactly the same as the air outside of my body. And the reason why I don't want people to commit suicide is not because 
I haven't had those, you know, thoughts before. We've talked about that. It's because I don't want people to leave this world in such a sad manner. And I don't want people to leave. I mean, I don't even want people to leave when they think they've fulfilled everything and it's happy. Because if that person did that, that's awesome. And they're probably a cool person. We should keep them around. Because how many fucking people actually reach their dreams? Um, But that was the Jason one. You know, he felt this peace. And I thought... Just like I thought in the first season, I had the rest of the episode pegged. I thought I knew. I thought it's going to be, okay, well, next it's going to be, uh, you know, Jamila's character. You know, she's going to do, like, Tahani. Tahani's going to decide that she's done all of her things. Um, and then at some point, Chidi and, um, I'm just forgetting every Eleanor. character. Eleanor. Eleanor. I'm forgetting every character name now because I'm getting a little emotional about it. It's just like... <laughs> I thought they were going to walk off into the sunset together. Yes, I definitely thought they were going to leave together, which is another place that I was about to go with this sort of suicide comparison. And um, maybe we should put in a trigger warning um, a couple minutes before now. Yeah, but we but, didn't reference that on the, also the tweet. Uh, but, spoiler um, slash trigger warning. Right, so... <laughs> You Good know. place. Everybody kills themselves. That people are gonna misread that really bad. So, uh, maybe tweet that one very carefully. So whenever anyone um, commits suicide, but more generally, someone who's famous and a lot of people talk about it. Um, I'm thinking Anthony Bourdain specifically right now because he's like almost the closest comparison to yeah. someone in a good place who's like reached. Like, his, you would think from the outside that his life is basically the good place. He has a beautiful girlfriend that he's in love with. He gets to travel and eat and drink as much as he wants to yeah. for his job. Um, and not only does he do that, he gets to, like, be creative about it and write copy and stuff like oh, that. Oh, and you want to talk about, on the flip side, my first thought, Kate Spade. I mean, her brand still exists. I mean, that legacy goes strong still. Right. Just as Bourdain's does. But whenever something like that happens, there's always people who will come out and say, like, oh, they're selfish, they're a coward. Um, yeah. For not, either they're a coward for not wanting to deal with uh, the issues that they're going through in life, or they're selfish for leaving people behind. But. Um, and that's exactly <laughs> what Chidi does. And it's funny because I thought my whole life I'm going to beat depression and suicide if I my dreams and that's something that has always scared me when these celebrities die is that um they had everything that they should have had they were literally on the top of their game and it wasn't enough so when i watch this episode of the good place and spoiler alert here for tahani because i just don't even give a shit at talking about her timeline because tahani's timeline actually is a little bit predictable is that she just has a long list and once she crosses off, she just decides she wants to do more shit and she becomes an architect. We can save you that trouble. Cheaty crossed basically his, you know, quote unquote list. Eleanor is just kind of going with the flow. Right. And it's it's not that Cheaty has achieved everything that he wants to and it's not enough and there's an emptiness inside him. It's that he's achieved everything that he wants to and it is enough and there's a con- and it's not an an emptiness that he can't fill it's a contentment 
Yeah, it's and like that's he... that is what drives him and everyone uh, who chose chooses to walk through that door in, in the good place. That it it's a self fulfillment. It's a self fulfillment and a contentment rather than a an empty like uh what's the word an empty fulfillment like from the outside that you don't feel yeah and a validation that's right like, kind of false you know but and it's, I, it's, I, I i totally feel it and i totally want to say just like there's also that important note too that cheaty addresses this with eleanor and says i'm i'm ready to go and she goes, no, you don't get to do that. You know, we're in this together, man. We're soulmates. We're in love. And he goes, okay, I'll stay. He just does that because love, you know, it's it's love. Yeah. He he's still sacrifice. And, he's still in the good place. Yeah. And he's still doing the same stuff, but you can tell he's just not as interested. And he takes a stroll through his old neighborhood and stuff like that, which may have came before or after he even made the decision. I don't know, but it's just like. He's doing the same stuff over and over and Eleanor finally gets it. And she goes, I'm being selfish. I'm holding on to you when you're ready to move on. And it kind of even plays into some, you know, things of relationships and moving on and closure and stuff. But these were two people who loved each other and we don't get to choose when some people walk away or die and stuff like that. There feels like a choice here, but in the reality of it all is Chidi had nothing more to give or get out of heaven or life or whatever you wanted to call this. And Eleanor, of course, wanted Chidi, but it was a want of Chidi. It wasn't a need of Chidi. She understood she could survive without him, as she had survived many years before. That was the love of her life. And if he was going to reach this point where he's like, this is my peak. This is my ceiling. This is it. It's selfish for her to hold him there just at this point because that was exactly what they were trying to get rid of when they fixed the good place. Right. That mundane, you just go numb. And she realized, if I do this, I'm just going to be doing this to someone that I love more than anybody. Right. And all of that is spelled out in the episode. Yeah. And then, of course, Chidi tries to go away and we find out Jason's still alive because he's a dumbass. But then that becomes another beautiful moment of Jason waited for Janet because he found that little amulet. And he he waited and they say, you waited so this many baramies? Which again, a measuring point that I cannot actually tell you what it is, but I can tell you it's more than a year and I think she said like 10. Um, so even 10 years would be bad and I think it's like... It's a long, a, a barami is a long and non-linear timeline that loops back in on itself. Yeah, so you can't really say, like, it's a number of years in any single way, but he definitely was there very long, and he was just waiting there, and he said a lot of Janets came, so there's even the reference that she's not the only Janet, she's not unique in that sense, but you could tell it was her, and the only reason that she happened to be the Janet that was walking, you know, there is because she was walking cheaty. And, but, you know, Jason shows, oh, I really wanted you to have this, though. I, I, I was willing to wait for my own things. I wanted you to have this. I love you. And I get to say goodbye one more time. And I get to see you one more time. And that's awesome, too. And it's like, 
okay, that's another sacrifice that he made for somebody he loved, and it was like another beautiful moment, but after that moment, what we're left with is Chidi's gone. Jason follows after him. Uh, Tahani's a good place architect. She's just not in the picture right. anymore because she's doing other things. And an interesting thing about this moment before we move past it, um, and I don't I don't know if I would have thought of this otherwise, um, or if Nick Offerman being in the episode teaching Tahani how to make a chair <laughs> yeah. um, primed me to think of it, but Jason is, they show in the show that he basically finds peace and contentment just kind of like wandering around the forest and trying to skip yeah. stones and shit like that and like not doing anything. And it's, it reminded me of a scene in Parks and Rec where Ron, played by um, Nick Offerman, uh, goes to meditate with Chris, played by Rob Lowe. And he says, like, I was, I got nothing out of that. I was just sitting there with absolutely no thoughts going through my brain. Yeah. And Chris is like, oh my God, like, that's amazing. It takes people years and decades to reach yeah. that kind of space where they can just sit there with nothing in their brain. And for Ron, it's just like, literally, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But for Jason, it's like, he's an airhead anyway, but he's like, well, at least he's like finding contentment, like even beyond the contentment that he felt by doing basically nothing. Yeah. Nothing so there's a joke that is made that is the best long play joke of the show, even though there's a lot of long play jokes of the show, is that. Jason enters the good place as a fraud monk and he starts doing these things and he talks about I didn't really think I just kind of was one with the world and I just kind of was at peace and meditated and threw rocks and just witnessed nature and then Janet goes like a monk and he goes what because <laughs> he doesn't put it together uh and that's Jason but we lose Jason we lose Tahani we lose Chidi. We're left with Eleanor, we're left with uh, Michael, and we're left with Janet. And then we watch Michael try to fucking sprint through the door. Right. As, as Cody mentioned before, there are other scenes in the show where you see that he panics and loses his mind a little bit. Uh, one of the funniest parts of the show is when he's going through what seems to be a midlife crisis yeah. <laughs> uh where he's wearing like bahama shirts and like acting drunk with, he like, looks a, like miami vice and he's got a like ferrari for no reason i think he has janet like dressed as like a young blonde girl like yeah. on, on his arm <laughs> yeah that um the moment before they start a new experiment in the good place with four new subjects to see if they can become better people the same way that eleanor tahani chidi and jason did um Eleanor ends up having to take that over yeah. because Michael basically has a panic attack and can't do it. Yeah. And is too afraid of what failure would mean for all of humanity. And here again we have Michael panicking and he tries to go through the door but he's not a human. So it it doesn't work. He goes through and trying to figure it out and at one point he pretends that yeah. he pretends that it worked. You and can't kind of hide. Um, but the, I guess the whole, you know, then that kind of leads to the Michael storyline. We knew everybody's storyline was going to close and we go, well, what the fuck is Michael's storyline? And he's been a demon who has been anxious 
Then he was getting good just laughing at it. Then he wanted to be good, and he always kept doing the right thing for his friends. And the whole season one, they were like, well, how can we trust you, and how can I trust you? And it was like, well, you can't, but this is our only option. And And something about Michael is I don't think that when he was evil, we saw any of that anxiety. Well, not in season one. We but, saw it when there were consequences waiting if he fucked it up in season two, which is why he kept covering it up. And then we and that anxiety is part of what drives him to become good. And as he gets more good, he gets anxious more because there's stakes not only for him, but for first uh, our four main characters. Yeah. And then for all of humanity. And like, it's interesting how... He, as he becomes a better person, his capacity to care expands, and it weighs heavily on him. Yeah, and I've got to say, not to quote an asshole like Morrissey, he's not going to show up to whatever concert ticket you just bought. Um, he has a very good line, though, that I only learned through Chris Gethard, because I don't listen to Morrissey. Um, and he has it tattooed on his uh, bicep, and it. I believe the, the lyric is, it takes strength. Meet his murder. Yeah, meet his murder. It takes strength to be um something in kind i forgot one of the words but the whole point is though it's like it kind of is hard to help your neighbor and push forward and do those things sometimes because it could just be easy to kind of look away from everything that's bad i mean this is something that michael could have done that michael could have just like literally been like you know what bad place bad but it's just what it is and fine whatever this is something that I think everyone of our friends has seen in you. As you become like more anxious about Bernie Sanders and politics and like the way of the world, I feel like that's why you've like said I'm posting walls of text, I'm posting on Facebook and Instagram a lot. Like as you become more invested in this stuff, you seem to be becoming more anxious and like more well, because... desperate for your voice to be heard and to make a difference. But the thing with I, again, I don't want to make this too political, but the thing with Bernie is I just don't want to do it alone. And his whole movement's not me, us. And, you know, there was a moment, and I'll, I'll attack Mayor Pete as much as I want to fuck that guy. That's This one quote drove me insane. And by the way, he's also um, not compliant with the FTC. Uh, if you go to his website, you cannot... Obs- unsubscribe from his emails unless you tell them that you've been non-compliant with the FTC. Uh, He will sign you up automatically for his emails because you can't even get to his site without providing an email. And he quotes patriotism in terms of how we'll fix climate change. And it's like, what the fuck does patriotism... What does he say about that? He says, we have to bring every American together, including the farmers. And I'm like, what? Like, dude, I'm doing as much as I fucking can. It's your turn. I mean, that is actually true, but it's also just, like, empty. Yeah, it's just like, dude, I'm not the one who gives the brakes to the fucking fossil fuel companies. I'm not the one who backs out of fucking energy accords. I'm not the one who fucking, like, gets to decide who gets tax breaks for being green versus, like... I get that I can do some stuff, and then I try to do them, and it's not enough, and it's like, I want somebody else to help. And I feel like Michael finally... That's what kept happening, and Eleanor kept being that rock of, like, fuck it, I'll do it. And Eleanor, you know, it was really hard to watch her really be the martyr of the show. She was, you know, if we're going to be saying this show has so many different fucking, like, 
you know, heaven and hell, you know, analogies. There's no Christian analogies, but she's the Jesus of the show. Or let's just say it. She mar- She has to sacrifice everything every single time to get it right. And she gives yeah, up Chidi literally just to make sure that everything in the good place is actually as it should be. And it seems like a small act of just one couple, but, but it, she figured she it out. It, she does it before that, too. Yeah, she figured out to get, you know, to make sure these people are fine. I, I have to, you know, figure this whole thing out for the good place and then let go of him. And then she's done it in so many other ways. And, like, she's the one who always finds a way back to the good. And that was one of those things for me where I was like, okay, well, if you're going to make it an analogy, maybe she's a Jesus. And even um, when they give Chidi all of his memories back uh, because it was wiped, as you said, to... Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, but you did mention that they did a reboot and they had to put in Chidi last minute and they wiped it all of his memories. So she had right. to sacrifice their love once already. Exactly. So And then she does it again when she lets him go in the final episode. But... Fuck. But we, we, did, we didn't finish up on Michael, though, is is kind of the point I want to get back to, is Michael, he freaks out, and he wants to go through, and they, they come up with this deal that Michael gets to be human, and that one shocked me the most. That was like, Michael gets to go back down to Earth and be human. And he'd always been fascinated by human things. And yeah. Part, some of the funniest like jokes in the show are Michael saying... Like little yeah. stupid human things that everyone can relate to, and then like yeah. being really excited about them. And I'll tell you the end of the show in a second, but we have to, you know, obviously set up some more things. But Michael literally starts off the show as a demon and ends the show as a human. And the whole thing about everybody starts getting rehabilitated and everybody starts getting in the good place because there's an opportunity that you get sent to a baddish place because it's like you have to face your shortcomings that you know didn't make you the best person or your human but with the opportunity to grow and then you get into the good place when you do that and there are still some guys who are like i don't understand why telling a woman she looks better when she smiles is bad she does look better when she smiles and it's that one dude that we're all like yeah he's fucked (laughs) um but there's an opportunity like you can still get into heaven and she was the person that was supposed to be the one that was not ever supposed to be there. Like the worst of the worst because she used to work at a phone phone company that would just sell like shit to people or penny stocks or whatever the fuck they sold. They were selling the like um, useless medication to old people. Yeah. And then she was always the one who like fucked over her coworkers. Like she was supposed to be DD and she fucked a guy instead. Like she was the, always that person and she always found a way. And then... You know, Michael, he just wanted to, you know, be a human and she helped rehabilitate him so much and save him. And there's such a journey there. And then finally, Michael goes to be his human and Eleanor is there alone and it's just time to go. Right. And the tough thing for Eleanor compared to everyone else is that Jason, Chidi, Jason and Chidi just get to the point where they feel that ultimate contentment and they know it's their time. Tahani reaches the end of her list and realizes that it's never going to be her time. She wants to be an architect and, you know... You know, just be a part of this system that she helped create for eternity. Exactly. And Eleanor is the only one that has to kind of strive to find the end. Yeah. She has to... She 
keeps trying and thinking this is going to be the thing where I know that I'm done. And I think Janet brings her to the gate at one point and she's like, shit, I'm actually not ready. And what she has to do is basically confront herself. As she says, uh, Minnie St. Clair, who's in the one resident of the medium place, she says it's like her if she had never met her friends. And this is something that I was mentioning at the beginning of the episode talking about BoJack Horseman, and I'm not going to get any, any spoilers of that. But like I was saying, people on that show have, the characters have a talent for pinpointing weakness and insecurity and articulating it in a way that hits you right in the stomach. And that's not how people confront what's wrong with them on the good place at all. People confront what's wrong with them on the good place, not verbally, but they run into it over and over and over again. Um, That's the entire point of the, of Michael's torture at the beginning is they're going to be faced with the problems of their shortcomings over and over again. And the way that Eleanor finally does find contentment is by facing what she would have been if she had not been put into that situation in Mindy and getting her into the system so that hope so that she can eventually become like Eleanor and get to the good place. Maybe even fill Eleanor's niche after she's gone. And once she does that, she finally has the contentment that she needs to walk through that door and return to the universe. Yeah, and then we see this moment, and she walks through the door hand-in-hand hand with Janet, which I mentioned to Bobby earlier is a little bit of a, well, what happened there? Because Janet's not really supposed to be human either, so her walking through the door doesn't necessarily mean that Janet got to go either. So Janet might have just actually been the one left behind, the godlike character. Yeah, I'm assuming that she was. Yeah, so I assume that as well, but what we see is dust kind of start to fade away and one little dust stays in the air and then it goes back down to earth and it lands on the shoulder of uh, a man named Kurt Braunholder I or Braunholder I might be pronouncing his name wrong but he used to do stuff with Christian Shaw that a lot of people know now from Bob's Burgers and you know 30 Rock and stuff like that they used to be comedy partners he's just not even really a character in the show he's just kind of like uh, a device he sees he sees a piece of trash that or a piece of letter that gets delivered to him that wasn't supposed to and he's about to put it in the trash and then that dust lands on his shoulder and he takes the piece of letter out of the trash and decides you know i'm gonna do the right thing and he goes and he gives it to the real resident and the real resident is michael and michael opens the letter and he gets so excited because Finally, what happens, Bobby, to Michael? <laughs> I think it's basically his Costco membership. Yeah, he just gets in a fucking Costco <laughs> or something. It is not at all, like, worth the overreaction. He thanks this person so much. And then he, the person's like, take it easy. And he goes, I say this with all the sincerity and all my heart and all the love. And he goes, take it, sleazy. <laughs> and he's just like, that's the end of the show. And it's perfect. And it's the demon who becomes a human and they tell him, you know, you have to do life the same way. You have to go through the whole system. I mean, we're going to put you there at this age or whatever, but like you're going to live the ups and downs of life. You'll feel pain. You'll bleed. 
you'll die someday, you'll go through the system, and maybe you'll come back here to join your friends. And the real disappointment was, I thought, eventually we were going to see Michael rejoin his friends, but, well, we didn't. And we know we didn't, because Eleanor's the last one, and she's the one that lands on the shoulder of Michael, and, you know, guides one last thing to him, say goodbye, and Michael's the one that lasts, the demon. He's the one who's rehabilitated. He's the human. Well, they're all rehabilitated. But, like, that fucking hit me, man. Like, just being, like, a bad person is one thing. Because that's a really malleable thing. But, like, I know it's a TV show, but to be a demon, to do that to even yourself. And it's funny because... I was talking to a friend recently about a song called, um, and I would love to talk to him about this song more on the podcast. I know we're going a little bit long, but it's, um, it's called Free Fall by, uh, Rainbow Kitten Sunrise or Surprise or something like that. I, I don't even know him that well, but the song, the lyrics are about basically this guy calls the devil when he's young and the devil comes and, you know, gives him alcohol and drugs and is like, Hey, you know. Like, you know, here, here, here you go. You need this. This is fun. You're going to need this. And then later in his life, he calls in the devil. And the devil's like, well, you figure out your own shit. You know, like, I, I helped you out. Come on, keep going. And then at the end of the song, he calls in the devil. And the devil says, hey, it's 2 a.m. Bars are closed. It's 10 in hell. I got a rule. You know that. And you're always so busy saving everybody else. You have no time save yourself and you don't want no help oh well that's the story to tell and when you don't believe in god that song takes on a lot more meaning and you realize the devil that you've been talking to the whole time is you so that hit me really hard because i had a friend who showed me her interpretation of it and i went that's not how i see it at all if i was going to make the music video for this it would be the real devil in the first scene and then in the second scene, the devil kind of alludes to, you know, maybe there's a little Easter egg that he's becoming human and by the third scene, you're the devil and what the devil is trying to make you do is free fall. And what free fall is, is not necessarily even just doing drugs because it's just easier or just, you know, it's giving up and just taking the status quo and just free falling into it. And the good place was the exact opposite of that. They said, no, no free fall. We all try to get better. And that's why I took on all of this with Bernie and stuff. Like, I'm so close every single day to free fall and I don't want to do it. But I need somebody else somewhere higher than me. And I can't watch another election where a man buys his way in and wins. I'm sorry. Because every number says that Bernie Sanders beats every single person so far that he's been on a debate stage with. And the biggest risk is Mike Bloomberg. And that man is a proven racist. And he's a billionaire. And we already have one of those. So I really don't fucking want to see it again. Especially as I've been called a Bernie bro. But also been told my candidate has no chance and stuff like that. Who the hell is listening to us? And then you watch a show like The Good Place and... You think NBC just put on another show that made me think about my humanity more than 
you know, a lifetime of, you know, the crap I've been watching. And it, it was just kind of a big moment for me to, like, really watch that transformation. Because even though it's not real life, it's, like, all those things I've painted myself as and been that guy at 2 a.m. alone at the bar, like you know, wishing somebody's there. I'm not really the kind of guy to text anybody you up. I don't think I've ever done that, but that's kind of the reference there is 2 a.m. bars closed, but I got a rule. You don't text me you up, but it's, he's not talking to the devil. He's talking to some girl and he's the devil. He's the dumbass who's tempted by doing the wrong thing. Like that's what the song is to me. And free falling is just, no, you don't, you don't call on the devil. You just, stop caring about it being bad or wrong or anything. You just do the bad thing. And you know what? I'm not ready to free fall yet. So back to you, Bobby. How you feel? Good. <laughs> Great. No, but no, the good place actually, it was, it was funny. Cause I was wearing a shirt that said existential dread while watching the end of the good place. And I got to say, it's just like, just two opposite feelings. Like, there was a lot of sadness and crying. This is one of my favorite shows is ending, and literally there are characters that are not dying, ceasing to exist in canon of the show. Uh, but, you know, it, it was just to watch that and really feel like, wow, they showed me different ways of feeling fulfillment and saying, you know, I can always do more if I really feel like it, or I can relax a little bit, but doing good is still just so important and matters that much that's what i took away from the show yeah it's about you know what are you doing if you're not trying to make yourself better in some way um not necessarily the way that tahani is by mastering every sort of art that she can which i really hope nick offerman got credited as nick offerman for that because i'm pretty sure he actually is a master woodworker oh he definitely is yeah I, I was kind of hoping that he would be credited as Ron, Ron Swanson for that, actually. Well, I thought that would be too obvious. I think it would be even funnier that it's just, it literally is Nick Offerman in heaven with Tahani. And then she can, like, name drop to somebody else. I think, Nick Offerman showed me how to woodwork, and, like, that's Tahani's whole thing. I'm pretty sure that he is credited as Nick Offerman. Yeah, but that's Tahani's whole thing. I but, think in the last episode she even said... I haven't been this sad since Jay and Bay's thing or something like that. And it was like, obviously, she's talking about hanging out with Jay-Z and Beyonce or something. like. I thought it was Brad and Jennifer. She does that too, though. That's a different joke. Yeah. She does both of those. <laughs> maybe she, maybe I'm getting mixed up which one she was sad about, which one she was happy about. I haven't been this happy since Bay and Jay's wedding, probably, is what she said. But as I was saying, it's it's not necessarily improving yourself in that way. And you're like skills wallet yeah as the lib dems in england would say but like i think about this a lot like whenever you look back at something that you posted on social media or whatever something that you said five years ago like you're usually a lot of times you're like mortified by it yeah so what are you doing right now except trying your best to be like the version of yourself that you won't be embarrassed by in five years yeah not necessarily like not posting cringe or, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but like your values and the way that you treat people. Yeah, and the way that people say like, uh, Cody's such a cancel guy. Like he just wants to cancel everybody. Do you forgive anybody? Like I just want people to own up to their shit. Like, you know, like 
I've deleted things I'm embarrassed by because I do say now that doesn't like you know align with the way that I think. But right. if somebody it's- found it, I'd go, man, that really fucking sucked that I did that. I'm so sorry. Like I, you know, what can I do to make this up to you or something? Like there, it's the people that are like, oh, I did that I was in high school, and I'm like okay do you just want to like you know address it now and they're like well no fuck you i was in high school and i was like well that's not really an apology man like you seem to still be a dick like i don't know (laughs) uh it's kind of the opposite and you know i can tell you examples of people but it's not worth it it's not i'm not trying to start wars with people i don't really fucking care it's just that i grew up around a lot of assholes i'm an asshole i got taught how to point out assholes i'm hoping i'm doing it in a way that is a net positive, I guess. I don't know. I don't... If there is a heaven and hell, I don't plan to go get into heaven. It would be nice to. It would be great to. I don't think they'll let me in. Watch I'm... enough porn. I mean, I'm told that's a sin. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably fine. I've lied to enough people about really dumb shit. If it's just a like total lie count, I've definitely gone past it. But it, it, I guess jokes really need to be like categorized a certain way. I don't know. We'll figure it out, I guess. We don't know the point system. That's what That's what we'll talk about in the next Veronica is we're going to do research to find out what the actual heaven is and try to get 98% of it correct. Uh, no, I'm, yeah, I, we'll, I don't think we're ever going to fucking figure that out. We, that would be a fun episode. We can, if we don't have an episode next week, we legitimately might try to just guess heaven and hell. I don't know. Doug Forsett. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just Doug Forsett it. it. All right. I think it's time, Bobby. We, we've been going on for a little bit. Time to open up the plugs bag, uh, as the Comedy Bang Bang says. What do you got for plugs this week, Bobby? Uh, I mean, same as last week. Yell at me to write stuff. I do have an idea regarding The Good Place that we never got around to today that I've wanted to write about for a bit. Um, so hopefully you'll see that next week. But Yeah, um, I would like to plug uh, Bobby into writing something. Um, but I'd also like to plug my Twitch stream, uh, twitch.tv slash codran. Um, do not follow me on any forms of social media. I am insufferable right now, and I'm aware of it, but I cannot stop for some reason. And um, Senator Bernard Sanders will be the next president of the United States. Yeah, donate to Bernie. <laughs> yeah, give Bernie money. Um, I'm doing it. And honestly, uh, if you are looking at society right now and thinking, this is great for me, you probably have more money than I do. <laughs> You don't listen to this podcast. Probably not. Yeah. If you are listening to this podcast, we love you. Vote for Bernie. More politics just tacked in on the end. Thank you so much. Bye.